0: I'm John Walker, author of the Stadford Chronicles, and you're listening to The Melting Podcast.
1: You're listening to The Melting Podcast,
2: a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from
1: everyone everywhere. Welcome to episode 15 of the new and improved Melting Podcast.
2: We've improved it. We have all kinds of things for you. We have panels that we recorded at Balticon 49.
1: We're hoping to start releasing special content in the mid-month. No promises on how consistent that's going to be starting out, but you're going to start seeing things.
2: Yeah, tentatively bi-monthly. Don't depend on us because we're flakes. But... Flakes are good if it's like parsley flakes on top of a pizza or something. Or if they're frosted flakes. Ooh, frosted flakes. They're great!
1: And so are we. Speaking of people that are great, what about our listeners? Oh, you mean our word chefs? I mean our lexicon
2: Now, where would you have
1: come up with a term like that? That would come from Stephen Grenade and Alex White of the Disaster Piece Theatry Podcast. Go check them out. They have renamed you listeners, and, um... I really like saying lexiconnoisseurs.
2: We've been waiting for a couple of months now to be able to say
1: this, and we finally get to. So embrace your new title, you lexiconnoisseurs, you. We are going to keep the word chef title around. That is going to be held for our contributors. So anybody that has submitted a story or a web comic, more details on that later, or voice acting, those are our word chefs. You want to become a word chef and get your name on our website, you gotta submit something. You know, send us stuff. We like stuff.
2: I like stuff.
1: We're going to move on to our featured story. This is different. We have our Stoke the Fire stories, and they're wonderful. We have our main ingredient stories, which are also wonderful. This story is both and neither.
2: This story is being presented as a main ingredient story, but it was actually inspired by one of our Stoke the Fire prompts. Given that it was too long to qualify as a Stoke the Fire, we've decided to put it on for you as a main ingredient, because we could not not
1: do this story. We are presenting to you, based on prompt number three, each food in your refrigerator has a different effect on your mental health, a story by Hugh O'Donnell of the Way of the Buffalo podcast.
2: Bon appetit. THE ICEBOX by Hugh O'Donnell Magus Gloriana Bywater, matriculate of the Esoteric Academy for the Wise of Karabos, and member of the Order of the Astral Circle, spellcaster of the Freelance Hunters, and part-time adjunct faculty at the EAWC, woke up hungover. Cheerful morning sunlight streamed through her window and onto her face. She grumbled and turned over. She contemplated blotting out the sun and plunging the whole land of Terra into a thousand years of darkness. But that sort of thing took a lot of prep time, and she could barely sit up without being sick. She tabled the idea until after breakfast. Instead, she stumbled carefully out of bed and nearly crawled to the privy. When she reached it, she found the water butt had frozen in the night. She took a deep, cleansing breath and stretched out her hands. The silvery tattoos that covered her small hands glinted in the morning light. The angular patterns were the marks of the riverfolk magicians who had trained her, and as the runaway daughter of a prosperous hillfolk trading clan, she was one of the few outsiders to ever wear them. But Glory knew just how to use them. Staring at the frozen water tank, which stood half inside and half outside the little lavatory, Glory felt an irrational stab of hatred for it. She had wanted a heated one. "'even one with pipes that pumped water through the apartment. "'But their landlord, cheap lout that he was, refused the expense. "'So they had to suffer with the damned thing "'constantly freezing over in the winter months. "'Bingo, ever the penny-pincher, had agreed, "'claiming that they would rarely be in town "'when the river folk were sleeping under the ice. "'It showed what he knew. "'It was midwinter, and they'd barely left the city. "'Glory concentrated, and waving her hands in delicate gestures,' "'pulled the image of the runes she wanted from the visual chaos of her tattoos. "'The spell gathered itself in her mind, and she channeled it outward, "'expelling a simple blast of fire at the irksome water tank. "'There was a squeal and pop of protesting metal, "'and a wave of steam engulfed her small frame. "'She ladled out a pitcher of warm water and washed up. "'The satisfaction and warm water soothed her headache, "'but did little to improve her mood.' Next, she pulled on her dressing gown and stomped down the hall of the suspiciously quiet apartment. The rooms were actually quite spacious for Caribous. She shared it with her fellow freelance hunters, the pikeman Joachim Verne, supposedly a man from the barbarian regions of the Icy Mountains, and their fingerman, Bingo Proudfoot. Bingo was a half-tall hillfolk like her, but his surname marked him as a clanless city dweller. They each had their own bedroom a shared privy with its own toilet, although no further running water, a kitchen with a second water butt, and a living area that served as their sitting room, office, and client reception area for their not-quite-respectable adventuring business. The parlor didn't look quite so professional this morning. Bottles of varying sizes and colors littered the tables, along with the remains of meals, old broadsheets, and other assorted rubbish. Sometimes she hated living at the office— as a member of the astral circle, she could easily take rooms at the club tower, which rose like a cunningly crafted iron and concrete iceberg from the surface of Lake Carabos. The rooms were damp and chilly, and the astrologers and astronomers spent the whole night arguing as they climbed up and down the stairs, but at least it was clean. She started clearing up the worst of the leftover chicken bones and apple cores when she spotted Bingo snoring on the couch, the lazy bastard. Wake up! She shouted testily and noisily grabbed a pair of bottles. He sat up suddenly and shook himself. For a moment, he glared blankly at her. Then the pint-sized ex-thief grinned broadly at her.
0: Good morning, Glory. Is the tea on yet?
2: Don't you good morning me, Proudfoot! How are you so blighted, Chipper? Bingo hopped to his feet, stretched, bringing his height to nearly four feet, and cocked his head thoughtfully.
0: I don't, Granny, why, but I feel great today,
2: he said. Glory eyed the debris of the previous night's debauchery. Carabos was the center of commerce in Elantara, and nothing traded better than booze. While her own memories of the events were hazy, it looked like they drank their way across the Great Island. There were empty bottles of ale and whiskey from Goldenfields, human corn liquor, wine and ciders from the southern orchards, and even dwarven scum water. And there was a trio of bottles that she couldn't immediately identify, but something itched in the back of her furious mind. Are you saying you don't have a hangover at all? She demanded.
0: Of course not.
2: My head's killing me, but I'm just in the best mood. Funny, huh? He gave a little giggle. (laughs) Glory remembered what the other bottles were for. Shit, shit, shit! She muttered as she hunted for corks through the little piles and hinges they made across the room. Finally, she found the three she was looking for each labeled and marked with her initials and the date. Fuck! She punctuated her sentence. At least she knew why she was so angry this morning. Were you assholes keeping your beer in my icebox again?
0: They were freezing on the balcony, so we kept some inside, just for the party. Why?
2: The icebox was a luxury she permitted herself on the excuse that it was necessary for her research. An iron box two feet square, a frost spirit was bound to it with runes of power. The well-to-do in Caribos used it to store food, but the magicians and alchemists of the city-state kept them as a certain way to regulate the temperature of their potions. Their asshole roommates also occasionally used it to keep their beer cold. Because, you buffoon, I just finished an experiment I was running with humor-altering potions! Do you know how much those reagents cost me? And there's no way I'll see another fresh-used kidney before the thaw! Salted just doesn't do it at all! She went on griping while Bingo processed her complaint and eyed the three mysterious bottles, These are the remains cheap. of iridescent liquids still lining the bottoms. Oh, this is his nausea this is increased, but he found it did little to dent his sense of well-being. This is all your
0: fault, Bingo! Do you mean to say we slipped ourselves love potions?
2: She glared even harder at him. I'm the first person you've seen all day. Are you overcome with desire for me, Proudfoot? She only called him that when she really wished to irritate him. The magician was only a little shorter than he was, with wavy black hair that she kept trimmed short and hazel eyes. She had a good figure, as her constant running about with he and Joachim kept her more fit than most mages. But then, Glory was a singular hillfolk magus. He made a show of considering the sharp-witted and short-tempered woman before replying.
0: No more than usual.
2: There are, obviously, other emotions than love or lust. I was working on some potions to bring them out as a bit of a study. And now you've gone and drank them!
0: There are three of us, and there were three Lushes.
2: The Fingerman replied, almost casually. She grimaced again, and he had to bite his tongue to keep from laughing. We drank them, she corrected herself. But we never would have if you had just kept your damn beer outside like I asked! He raised his hands in a placating gesture.
0: Fair enough. My apologies, Magus. So, what have you hit us with?
2: Well, based on my foul mood and your fair one, I must have taken Wrath while you were in the throes of a potion of delight. Which means Joaquin drank the third potion, Regret. The elegance of the deduction took a slight edge off her mood, but she still felt like strangling someone. When Bingo burst out laughing at the news, <laughs> he became the most likely candidate. <laughs> what is so godsworn funny?! Bingo struggled to catch his breath between gasps of laughter.
0: (laughs) Joaquin got the regret potion. (laughs) The bludger who's left more destruction and tragedy in his wake than anyone in Caribou City. The man whose personal motto is live for the day. The man who refuses to talk about his past. And you gave him the regret potion. (laughs) Bingo doubled
2: over in another fit of giggles. I didn't give it to him he took it as you will recall how dare the little twerp imply that it was her fault for leaving poorly labeled bottles of spirits around it was true that wakim was reticent about his past and vague when pressed for details he had shared many of his exploits in his youth as a mercenary he had traveled to every corner of the great island and had a romantic misadventure in most of them to hear him tell it but he always got quiet and somber when pressed about his past he had been born in some backwater village so small it barely had a name, deep in the icy mountains. That was all she knew. He wouldn't even tell her where he had acquired Incisor, the enchanted spear he always carried with him. Whatever that story was, it was clearly a painful one. And he had taken a potion to bring to the surface and amplify his regrets. As a rule, wizards avoid swearing. A magician's curse can have real consequences. Shit, fuck, Glory took this moment to be own. an exception to Damn, the you're rule. You've done it! Bingo, this is all your fault! I'm still blaming you, you
0: fucking asshole! What's gotten you so fussed?
2: (laughs) Bingo asked, his giggling fit finally subsiding. We have to find Joaquin before he does harm to himself!
0: Yes, I can see how that would be a problem,
2: Bingo said. He took a deep breath. They tried his room first. It was empty, and the spear was missing, although his armor was standing on the rack. Joaquin wore a piece from each of the companies he served in, so none of it matched, and each one was etched with bosses. Glory thought it made him look like a piece of lost luggage. She took a pauldron, which was etched with a soaring eagle, and carried it out into the parlor.
0: What are you going to do with that?
2: Bingo asked as she cleared off the dining table and set the piece down. Locator spell, and be quiet. I need to concentrate. Bingo did his best, but the cost of his silence was constant pacing. The spell was a simple one, but as she waved and shaped her hands over the object— She couldn't fix the proper runes in her mind. Each time she came close to completing the spell, some fresh wave of anger or irritation would catch her attention, and it would collapse like a souffle in a wind tunnel. Bingo wouldn't keep still, or another tenant made a noise on the stairwell, or a bird chirped outside. Why was the world so blightedly distracting? Glory took another breath and tried again. It was really herself she was angry with, she decided. Drinking her own potion was an exceptionally stupid thing to do, and stupid wizards died young. She'd never achieve anything of note if she didn't pay better attention to her surroundings. And worse, what if her carelessness killed Joachim? If he harmed himself or others during his fugue, it was her fault, not his. That would be something unforgivable. She had to get to him first. She poured all of her anger all of her hate, into the spell. It wobbled, but it held. The shoulder piece spun like a top and would have flown off the table if Glory hadn't grabbed it with both hands. Bingo, get our coats, we're going out! A few minutes later, they were hurrying through the slushy streets. Winter was the off-season, and with the academy closed, the streets were clearer than usual. But Glory still had to narrowly dodge horse carts and apologize to pedestrians as the enchanted pauldron pulled her like a magnet towards Joaquin. She prayed that she wasn't too late. They found him standing in front of an inn, surrounded by a small orchestra, of all things. They were playing one short piece over and over again, not particularly well, while Joaquin shouted something up to one of the high windows. They broke off when the two hillfolk came running up. I'm
1: sorry. Does he belong to you? The lute
2: player asked. Nominally, Glory said.
1: What has he been doing? He hired us up in the middle of the night. To stand out here and play the same blighted love song over and over again. He's corked. You'd better take him home. After paying us, of course.
2: Of course! How much do we owe you? Joachim turned around, apparently noticing them for the first time. The tall man was leaning on his fearsome spear for support. And he had been sobbing into his beard.
0: Screw them, I paid up front, he said. And it's no use anyway. She won't see me.
2: Glory glared at the musicians, and they decided discretion was the better part of valor. She entertained the idea of shooting a ball of fire or lightning at their hasty feet, but couldn't muster the energy. She felt dead tired. Who won't see you? She asked. She was lost, but at least he hadn't hurt anyone.
0: Margolada, of course.
2: He turned back to the window.
0: Margolada! I'm sorry.
2: He apparently was unaware that he had lost his accompaniment. Finally, a door to the top story opened, and a red-faced young human woman in a maid's cap stuck her head out. For the last time,
0: it's Marjorie! And go the hell's home,
2: Vern! You're lit! Bingo fell down in the street, giggling. (laughs) Rather than help him up, Glory led the barbarian gently home by the sleeve. This sort of thing shouldn't <laughs> happen to wizards, she decided. The freelance hunters spent the next two days recovering. Glory and Joaquim, aside from a bit of embarrassment and exhaustion on top of their hangovers, were none the worse for wear. Bingo spent another week depressed after he came down from the bliss potion, however. Glory made a careful study of the phenomenon. The next week, she gave the ice box to the two of them as a gift.
0: What about your potions?
2: Joachim asked. Glory shrugged. I ran the numbers, and the profit on making and selling potions isn't worth the trouble. She grinned at them and held up a box of carpentry tools. Wands are the next big thing. Hugh J. O'Donnell is a writer and podcast producer living in western New York. His fiction has appeared in Bards and Sages Quarterly, Over My Dead Body, The Method to the Madness, and others. His serialized 140 characters novellas can be read online at HughJO'Donnell.com, and you can find more Freelance Hunters stories in podcast and ebook formats at
1: TheFreelanceHunters.com. He's also the producer of The Way of the Buffalo, a new media storytelling podcast featuring fiction and interviews, and The Dark Wife, a YA lesbian retelling of Story of Persephone, written by Sarah Deemer and read by Veronica Jaguer. You can find both at WayOfTheBuffaloPodcast.blogspot.com.
2: We are extremely proud of the production quality on this one.
1: Well, it was a great story to begin with.
2: We it definitely inspired us to do a lot more sound effects, crappy music, um, music. <laughs> Uh, playing with voices, manipulating tones. We really enjoyed this one.
1: It was a great experience. Just an all-around fun story. So thank you, Hugh, for going outside the box on this one.
2: (laughs) The box? The ice box? You're fired. No, I'm not. And thanks for letting me be a foul mouth. That was fun, Hugh. Thanks. All right, lexicon hold on to your spatulas. Because here it comes. A new segment.
1: This is A Little Seasoning. A short interview with an already established author. These were live from Balticon, and this is the first of many coming up.
2: So here we go. This is Mr. Paul Cooley, one of my new favorite people who wears wonderful slippers, in our
0: interview.
1: So are are we good? Yeah, we're good. Okay, so we are here live at Balticon 49 with Paul Ellard Cooley, author of The Street, The Black, and the newly released, I believe. Black, the arrival, or is it just coming out The Black Arrival. It came out Friday. Oh, fancy. I'm still behind on the first one, but it's coming up. You finally finished the podcast, so I'm getting all over that one. So our first question that we're just generally asking everyone is, and this is an interesting question for you, what that you have written, published or unpublished, have you been absolutely surprised that you've written (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh, that's definitely the street. That's definitely the street.
1: <laughs> that's going to ruin childhoods.
3: Uh, Yeah, that did, that, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
1: I mean, do you have anything with like, just fluffy unicorns and flowers? Or that no. would be surprising. No, that no, would be, no, no, <laughs> no. See, I would be surprised if there was some My Little Pony fanfic in your history somewhere.
3: Oh no. Although, you know, folks have asked me to savage other properties, but uh, <laughs> the, um, the thing with the street is that, it is uh it's just kind of a a, a love letter to Henson. I mean it, it really is.
1: I think it's hate mail, but that's just No, funny. I
3: I mean the, the the Muppets the Muppets that are in the Puppets and Puppets that are in 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 the street do not say oh god or jesus christ or anything like that. Everything they say is Henson.
1: That's true. Right?
3: Oscar in Oscar's basically decrying the death of their god the entire time. Mm-hmm. And there's all this lawlessness because they had this framework of how to live They were everything was scheduled for them, they all had a meaning for living, for getting up every day. And the moment that was all taken away from them in the framework, it just collapsed into this anarchy. Mm -hmm. And so coming out of the anarchy is basically you've got two different factions that are fighting one another. You've got humans busting in trying to get in in on it. (laughs) And then you've got, you know, different little pockets of of, uh Muppets and puppets that that socialized and are trying to do their own thing. Mm Oscar is our, our wonderful commentator on the madness as well as a moving force through it. And um, I like the idea that I can go after these puppets that, have, that I have so much affection for. Because they, you know, the, the street puppets, my slummy puppets as I call them,
0: <laughs>
3: they taught me how to count. They taught me my ABCs. They taught me socialization. When I was growing up in Canada, that's the only place I saw black people. <laughs> I'm serious, yeah. I'm yeah. serious. Ben, ben can laugh because back in the 70s in Calgary, yeah. So it, it was more along the lines of, of getting to know the world through them and the electric company, of course. Mm-hmm. So those were my two touchstones way back when, and I've always had a soft spot for those. Mm-hmm. And as the Muppets became more commercialized, Muppet Show is great, but I can't watch the movies. Yeah. I can't stand them um, because I keep wanting to see my slummy puppets from the, from Sesame Street, which is a goddamn slum. Yeah. So it's a great vehicle to do social commentary. Um, when I work When I work in the sequel, Fifty Shades of Grouch.
1: No! Oh! <laughs> I'm waiting for that one.
3: I will be dragging in stuff that's been all over the news for the last year or two about and, and incorporate racism. Well, we're going to call it puppetism. And uh, we'll, we'll basically be talking about uh, drug legalization, uh, more gentrification stories, the whole the whole deal, and of course, the human puppet thing is about to blow up. So there's there's going to be a lot more strife in there, but there's going to be a lot of things. I basically, as always, uh, the inspiration comes from the real world. To drag in and then let oscar do what he does oscar tells me the story that's the way it works
1: well since we are talking about the street who is your favorite muppet and or sesame street character oscar definitely oscar. yeah oscar's my guy okay well what then when in that case what's your favorite thing that you've done to one that you just don't like as much because you've, you've torched oh, kermit
3: kermit definitely <laughs> kermit kermit didn't make it out of the first story <laughs> And, and 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 another beloved Muppet didn't make it out either. And I, I, I there's a clear delineation in my head between puppets and Muppets. Yes. The puppets are Sesame Street. The Muppets are the Muppets. Yes. And there are some that end up in both worlds. But uh, Kermit's always a jackass, so I was glad to do what I did to him. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there, there's. I did the Burton Ernie thing purely for shock value. But it seemed it, it was. It seemed natural to me. Why wouldn't they be lovers? I mean, you know they.
2: I thought they were when I was a kid.
3: What? The, how old are you?
2: Twenty-seven.
3: So that's how much the world has changed. Yeah. <laughs> we were still watching Donna Reed reruns back in the '70s. <laughs> that's where we're a man and wife who have, you know, three children still sleep in separate beds. Let's
1: just put it this way: our parents were teenagers in the '70s, so yeah. There you go. So uh, you got your usual
2: questions. My question: um, What would you consider to be your greatest strength as a writer? What do you do best? And you're doing this under duress, so don't feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting a lot of flack for this
3: question. I would like to think that my best skill is making characters that you care about <laughs> and then doing absolutely horrible, awful <laughs> things to them yeah. and making you want to keep reading because you want to see how and if they're going to get out of the mess that I've put yeah. them in. Um, I, so I, George
1: I, R. R. Martin with puppets. Well, no. Not not always.
3: No, I mean, my my favorite book that I've written is definitely Closet Treats, and it's one that sells the least, um, which is a bit upsetting. But at the same time, I like writing those character-focused stories. The black is in the thriller genre. Thriller genres require this huge plot-driven stuff. You can't focus as much on the characters, and that's what the market wants. And that's been bringing me a lot of coin, but the... My first true love is still going to be working with one character or a small group of characters and then tracking how their lives are changed by events that are going on. That's what I hope I'm really good at. But uh, to be honest, I just want to get better at the craft, get better at, at doing everything, and I'm nowhere near where I want to be and never will be, actually. Well,
1: that does lead into our next question. We'd like to flip that. What would you say is your greatest weakness, and how have you striven to overcome it?
3: You're assuming I've overcome it.
1: I said striving to So striving to overcome it. I don't have any weaknesses. Okay, hey, right, that's right. parallel. <laughs> 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 I
3: have tons of weaknesses.
1: Humble brag. <laughs>
3: Humble brag. Um, that's a really hard question to ask, or answer, rather.
2: Yeah, it was pretty easy to <laughs> ask. <laughs> I had no problem with that. It's
3: pretty easy to ask. I think at this point that probably my biggest weakness is in writing longer stories. Um sometimes plots the reason why i love novellas and short stories is i can focus on a few days in the life and make them absolutely extraordinary and they're short and they hit and there's no filler there's no bullshit i just want to get you the story and get you through it that's a page turner you're going to hate me when you get to the end of it because it ends and you would be like there's all these little subplots you could have done there's all these other things you could have done well yeah, but that's not the story I wanted to write. Mm-hmm. So I can make a damn doorstop if I want to. I'm going to have to at some point because I think TB4 is going to be huge. But the, uh, um, but the, the bottom line is I like, as a reader, stories that don't dwell too much on description. And that is a really difficult thing to sell in certain markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garagas Children, for instance, probably suffers from that. and It's in the fantasy realm, so to speak but I don't spend 15 pages on goddamn Bannerman flags and how they came about because that shit's boring to me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to write it. But there are readers out there and there's a whole market. That's what they want to read, and that's not me. So finding your niche and finding what works in the genres you want to work in is a constant full-time job absolutely and you can't go after the low-hanging fruit of oh today steampunk's popular tomorrow's zombies whatever vampires well, i'm glad that's
2: ending yeah. vampires <laughs> please
3: die just well, for real just that's be no just die again yes. <laughs> um so the the uh part of that is basically looking at at what's going on maintaining a, a good line reading outside your genre talking to other writers. And paying attention, paying attention to the news, paying attention to what's going on around you. What what new things can you incorporate? How can you make your stuff stand out from somebody else's? And that's a constant battle considering there's so many books, there's so many people not reading. Um, and then, of course, finding stories that will make good audiobooks because that's kind of how I got my
1: start. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Do you have anything else? No, I, you absolutely answered everything I was asking. That was brilliant.
1: Well, I do want to ask, so what, uh, obviously the Black Arrival has uh, just been released, so what's next? Oh boy, I have to finish
3: uh, Daemons of Garaga, which is the, um, Legends of Garaga told uh, the story of the mythos from the human perspective, from prehistory to the burning of the Library of Alexandria, the first burning. Mm -hmm. And then Daemons of Garaga will tell a story of three generations of Garaga's children, of Nephilim, from uh, more or less prehistory to um, Hammurabi's Babylon. And oh. so it fills in some blanks here and there. We'll talk about the sack of Ur by the Elamites. Yes. So when the Iranians first came over to Iraq and plundered the place. Oh, you're,
2: you're talking history. You're speaking my language here. Oh,
3: well, then you need to go check this out. Because yes. I absolutely destroyed Akkad, um, Babylon, Ur, you name it. Also the Indus Valley, uh, that whole There's area. who
1: knows what Ur is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> The different patron gods and everything else, yeah, and how it I'm all fits just together. I'm gonna leave this with
1: you and walk away. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, I mean, it's 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 niche. Mm-hmm. Historical fiction is a really hard sell. Historical mm-hmm. fantasy, even worse. And it's kind of hard to stand out from that. But I got I got to get this book finished. I got about seven thousand words on this one story, and it's three novellas, and then that will be done. And then I got to go finish Flames, which is a story I started writing before the Black happened. <laughs> before I got the contract for the black, and I had to put it aside. So I need to get back on that, and that's about 60%, 70% done. And then when I get done with Flames, then I start TB3, and hopefully we'll have TB3 out for Halloween.
1: Excellent. Awesome. So where can we find you on the internet?
3: You can find me at shadowpublications.com. I also am a co-host on the uh, renowned and infamous Dead Robots Society which DebRobotSociety.com, so I do the podcast. Yeah, ding. So you can, if you go to ShadowPublications.com, subscribe to the feed, you'll get good podcast goodness. The Black Arrival will be running for another 27, 28 weeks. The first episode dropped on Friday. You don't even have to have listened to The Black or read The Black to enjoy it. Um, but all that stuff's up there. All my work is up there as podcasts. Uh, so you can go get any of it, and if it's good for you, then go buy the damn book, and I'll be happy.
0: Awesome! <laughs> All right, <laughs> thank let's, you very much. Let's make Paul thank cool you. Happy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> can you tell me how to get how to get to the street? Because Cooley,
1: yeah, you know you're right. That guy is awesome.
2: It's the hair. Oh yeah. Or is it the glasses?
1: It's the hair. Or the slippers. It's the hair. Right. And the writing.
2: Oh, and and the hugs. He gives great hugs, guys.
1: Don't spread that around. I mean, it hurt. He's the fiend master.
2: It was bad. I felt slimy. sullied, and unusual.
1: Well, if we want to get rid of that sullied and unusual feeling and get you feeling all warm and fuzzy again. Oh. Here's a promo.
0: Even superheroes age. When Black Widow goes gray, Aquaman gets Alzheimer's, and someone's got to catheterize Wolverine. There's only one place capable of tending all their super senior needs. Elysian Springs, Adventures from the Nursing Home for Aging Superheroes, is the first anthology from Pendragon Press, and we need your help to get it flying. What's in it for you? 10 tales from authors like Gail C. Martin, T. Morris, and Jared Axelrod, plus a 10-page comic by artist Jason Strutz, all of them aggregated by Intergalactic Medicine Show assistant editor Lauren Scribe Harris. And you won't want to miss the exclusive Kickstarter swag. From T-shirts and staff IDs to parking signs and personalized accident reports, let me tell you... It's awesome. So what are you waiting for? Head over to Kickstarter and support Elysian Springs, adventures from the nursing home for aging superheroes. We change the Joker's bedpan so you don't have to.
2: Okay, that's about a nursing home for really old people. Superhero old people. Yeah, that did not make me warm and fuzzy. That made me go, oh, they're old and they're going to die. That's so sad.
1: Okay, now here's the thing about that Kickstarter, people. It only has a few days left. Please go and back it if it's something that interests you. And I think it should interest you because I may potentially have a story in the anthology.
2: And if you're like me and the prospect of one person's story isn't enough for you, then what is? Go back it. It's awesome. So says me. All right, so since we are a variety show, we need a variety of things. We need stuff. And you need to send us stuff. But in order to know what kind of stuff you're going to send us, you might need a little poke or prod or another word that starts with P. What's a good one? Potato. I like potatoes. But I was thinking of something else. Um, Prompt! Right. (laughs) A prompt. So right now, we currently have two prompts open. Prompt number five, which is something in the bathroom is your character's spiritual leader
1: or confidant. And prompt number six, why is everyone afraid of the mailman? Now, here's the thing about prompt number six. We actually did get a webcomic submitted to us based on prompt number six. How cool is that? Kind of freaking awesome. It doesn't translate well to audio. Well, seeing as it's visual, I would assume that to be true. So you'll be able to see a link in the liner notes for this episode that will take you right to Patrick Toner's website where you can see that webcomic.
2: And Patrick Toner is p of The Way of the Buffalo podcast.
1: Oh, he's awesome, too. He's cool. So, yeah, we're featuring both hosts of The Way of the Buffalo in this episode. I think they did this on purpose. Bump.
2: Well, they promoted us pretty hardcore by interviewing us at BaltCon Live, uh, so.
1: That was such an awesome experience. So, yeah, this is kind of our shout-out, return the love fest to them. Love, 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 love. Well, that's it for this first anniversary episode of The Melting Podcast. Oh, 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 oh. One more thing. Okay, so we had the Ps earlier, now we have the Os.
2: Oh. I hope you will all join me in saying a very happy birthday to our very own host, A.F. Grappin. I won't tell
1: you age. But it's 31. Happy birthday! Speaking of me, I just realized we didn't introduce ourselves at the beginning of this episode. I'm AF. I'm Aaron, And you've been listening to The Melting Podcast. Send us stuff, and we'll feed the masses.
2: Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at
1: themeltingpodcast.com You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast or you could email us. The Melting Podcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non Commercial, No Derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound
2: effects are by The Free Sound Project.
1: And our theme is by Drew Richcreek.
0: Send us stuff.